This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing games and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Monday, July 13th of 2020, it's episode 182. In this episode, Cosmic Horror, our quarterly topic voted on by our Patreon backers, plus daydreaming about unlimited gaming budget, more GURPS books than you can shake a stick at, Lovecraft, Vandermeer, Mignola, and Snowden? The Horrors of Technology, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. How's everybody doing? Eh, you know. Mm. Well, this can be expected given the state of the world. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I've started taking on a project that's too big for one person, but when has that ever stopped me before? Uh, I'm making a new cataloging system for uh, the all the kids' non-fic books in the library that I hope to translate over to the adult non-fic relatively soon. Um, Interesting. Melville Dewey, Melville Dewey has been my, my proverbial and verbal punching bag for too long. Now he needs to be my physical punching bag. Fight me, buddy. I'll beat up your bones. <laughs> <laughs> um... I mean, do you really want to go to Florida? I've seen the COVID numbers for that state. I'd, I'd rather not. But but uh, yeah, no, the Dewey Decimal System. Not to go to Florida. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and proximity to Melville Dewey's bones is only one of them. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's a few good reasons to go to Florida too. There's a particularly oh, yeah. beloved listener of ours who lives there. Yeah, and I've got some of some of Tyler's family is down there. Uh, but. Um, I liked seeing them in Maryland more than I think I'd have liked seeing them in Florida. Anyway, enough Florida bashing. Uh, uh, <laughs> kids can't understand Dewey Decimal System numbers because they don't really make any sense. Also, why are horses and cats and dogs completely separate from all other animals in the Dewey Decimal System? Answer me this. So I, I know why, and it's a stupid reason. Because the Dewey Farms. Decimal System is bad, and I'm doing it. I'm redoing a whole new thing on my own. Fair. Fair. <laughs> So that's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds fun in that not at all fun, but yeah. sort of vaguely interesting way. It's mentally stimulating. That's I'll give it list. that. Mentally stimulating is an okay substitute for fun a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as for me, things continue apace. Um, I don't know. It's been a bad day for me. It's been a bad couple of days, um, but mm, not anything specific. It's just uh, now's not a good time to be an anxious person with high blood pressure in the state of South Carolina, statistically speaking. So that's been fun. And it, it's made worse by the fact that I have seasonal allergies. And Ugh. so it's like, oh, is this cough the one that's going to kill me? Or is it just the same cough I've always had? And, oh, is this slight tightness in the chest the anxiety about this cough? Or is it something else? This has happened like three times now. Um, that's actually yeah. what happened. We had to put off recording the first uh, City on a Hill game. That, that's basically what was going on. I was having a panic attack about it. And it's like, oh, well, Ugh. I don't know what's up. So it's very frustrating. Yeah. And I have a friend, a good friend, who's um, been in a lot of the games that I've talked about on the show. Uh, he's got COVID, so that's annoying. Yeah. Um, he he visited his sister who had it. Uh, they she got te- she tested positive because she uh, was having back surgery, and they do a test as a routine thing. But no one else in his family got it, so they they now think it he got it from work. 
So, hmm. you know, from people <laughs> who were not wearing masks visiting him in his cubicle. Uh, everybody listening to this, wear your masks. If you don't have a mask, talk to me. I'll figure something out for you. But my wife's been making a lot of masks. She just... Credit to Chrissy. She has twice now found an elderly couple in Walmart who didn't have masks and was like, hey, would you like masks? And just made them masks and mailed them to them. Nice. That's lovely. Uh, the way she does it, um, instead of the over-the-ear loops, there's an elastic band that kind of goes around the neck and then it ties behind the back of the head kind of up high. And it's a much more secure fit. Also, you get to look like uh, a very fancy version of one of the various ninjas from Mortal Kombat with the little, you know, over-the-nose tight cloth mask, and it looks great. Um, but also, it avoids having anything over the ears, and so one of the couples was like, or it was an older gentleman who said, where did you get that mask? My wife can't wear masks with the ear loops because she's on oxygen. And the oxygen, you know, normally runs over the ears and under the nose, well, you know, this fits her well, but so yeah, uh, she's, she's twice done that, uh, and just yeah. ma oh, very made cool. masks and mailed them out. So, you know, yeah, we'll the work straps, something out. The straps at the back of the neck and the top of the head. Um, first off, if you have a shaved head, they stay in place. I know some people have complained to me about like, oh, the strap on the top of the head slips down. I'm like, not if you shave your head. Um, uh, for for listeners who can't see us, I I shaved my head a couple of weeks ago. I do this every four years. It's fun, um, but I, uh, yeah, it it's just because of my glasses. I can't have the back of the loops work like about thirty percent of the time. I found a couple of over like back of the ear loop uh, style masks that do work with my glasses for reasons unknown to me. I don't know why those ones work and other ones don't, but. Um, but yeah, back of the head loop is, it's just comfier. It's just mm. nice. It is nice. Aside from that, I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing lately. Hmm. For whatever reason, well, no, I know what happened. I finally broke down and got a Switch, Nintendo Switch online account and started visiting okay. other people's islands. And I'd kind of lost interest in the game. Chrissy um, has had been playing a little bit more, but she'd kind of lost interest. And then we saw other people's islands and we looked at our island and we're like, we desperately need to fix this island. <laughs> it's like, you know how you just <laughs> Our game of, is weak. <laughs> you, it's like, we've got, yeah, our island seems fine. It's nice. We've got a few flowers. We've got a couple of little things. We've got, oh, Chrissy built a playground. That's real cute. And then like my sister came over. It's like, oh, it's so tidy. It's like, yeah, I've seen yours. Um, <laughs> Chrissy, we're going to design yards. We're, we're, we're going to go download patterns. We're, we got to do all this. So like just today yeah. we checked and we're up to a five star island finally. Yay. Which tells you where we were. We were at like three and a half stars. <laughs> We'd had this game since it came out, basically. It was just like, eh, oh. it seems fine. So yeah, we've, we've been doing a lot of that. Uh, and that's been enjoyable. We've been exercising some creativity together, which has been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Always a good thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing, like today, I f discovered that um, our library has digital copies of a couple of the Avatar of the Last Airbender comics. So I've been reading those. Ooh. And that's been fun. Those as good nice. as the uh, animated series? Or? They feel Sometimes like better. Episodes. 
they they genuinely feel like episodes. If you can get your hands on the promise, I'd say the that was better. Was very good. That was one of them. Um, yeah, it's, it was like it's a, fantastic. It was like a high quality two part episode. Is like where I'd put it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, they're they're quite good. Yeah, it, excellent, excellent reading material. Uh, they really, like I said, they genuinely feel like they don't feel out of place. You very mm-hmm. quickly start hearing the voices and like, oh yeah, these characterizations are spot on, and there's a lot of development, and they do a really good job of bridging the gap between uh, Avatar and Korra. They do a they lay a lot of groundwork. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Like, because that's an era that they really don't cover at all on this show, really. I mean, well, few flashbacks in Korra, but yeah, well, nothing the first to one speak is of. like, hey, what do we do? And I'm okay, spoilers here. If you haven't watched Avatar, please, we've talked about Avatar enough on this show. Go watch oh, it. Oh, yeah. I love how you were you were very reluctant for a while, and now you have become an advocate. No, I was, I knew this would happen, and I am just. I was, by I was not reluctant. I was waiting to watch it with my children. Fair enough. That uh, that was the specific point. But Korra obviously has the whole, you know, unification city. I forget what it's called. I've only seen a couple episodes of that. The, whatever the city is where everybody lives together in harmony. And that kind of stems from this question of what do we do with long-established Fire Nation colonies in the Earth Kingdom where everybody has intermarried. Hmm. All right. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, my mom's an earthbender. My dad's a firebender. This is our home. You know, my cousin's an earthbender. Uh, You know, I'm dating a firebender. Um, Stop fighting about us. Leave us alone and let us live. Yeah. And so (laughs) there's a lot of like, okay, there's a new world here. What is that going to look like? And that sets up a lot of Korra. So it's neat. Anyway, Republic City. That's what I've been doing. Republic City. Uh, it's, yes, it's Republic, Republic City. City. There we go. <laughs> yeah, it. I, it's been a while since I've watched the first half of the. First I could season. literally <laughs> see the little gears like turning over Jenny's head up there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's mostly me. What's up? Yeah, with you? I um, I've been playing a little bit of Divinity Original Sin two again. I finally kind of got back into that. I actually made it all the way off the first island, which is. No small feat. That first act has got some real content to it. Realized I'd done a bunch of stuff like out of order and locked myself out of some neat optional content and started over again so I could be more of a completionist on the first island. So that's a thing. Uh, I finished reading the first Elric book over vacation I went through an interesting little arc with that. I was at first I was like, okay, this is this is a thing. Okay, this is a thing. And it was like I I thought it was kind of okay when I started. My opinion of it dropped kind of throughout the first third and into the middle of it and then climbed back up to okay again by the end. There was like this dip, I guess. Um I'm not entirely sure that I'm going to prioritize finding future installments in the series, but I'll possibly read at least one more at some point. If we're talking about cool books we've found, I'm real proud of this one. I've managed to order myself a copy of Powers of Darkness, which is the English translation of the Icelandic translation of Dracula. (laughs) 
Oh, nice. Which really? Okay. Yes. I know part because, of this story. Jenny, go ahead. Because here's here's the thing. Until like the late 70s, early 80s, people didn't know that Icelandic Dracula and Swedish Dracula as well were totally different books. Mm-hmm. Just totally different. Um, Bram Stoker basically, I, I'm not 100% sure if he actually worked with the translators or not, but the translators just straight up made it better and snappier. And like, I, I recently finished Dracula by Bram Stoker. And honestly, was a little disappointed because it started out so strong to the point where I had to put it away for a month because I got too scared. It was it's and an after that, excellent I was just book. Like, yeah, it's 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 a great first part of a book, and then like it just dragged for the rest of it for me. And I think it's because Bram Stoker wanted to show off his accent writing skills, and he could have just not. Because what girl writes? fisherman's accents in her diary nobody no nobody, nobody does that anyway i so apparently the icelandic translators just like made it snappier and made dracula like show up more and an actual threat and it wasn't just you know boring in the middle like it's still yeah. it's still a good book i was just bored in the middle i was bored and, at the and so i it had a really weak ending yeah, it did have a kind of weak ending. I enjoyed the middle, personally, but I have a higher tolerance for that level of fiction. I liked bits and pieces of the middle. like, And I was like, we can just cut these bits out. And apparently that's what happened in, in Iceland and in two different versions of it in Sweden. Anyway, this one guy, I, I think he's German or something, he realized, hey, not everybody else reads Icelandic. And we could reasonably, you know retranslate this for a new audience and so i managed to get my hands on on powers of darkness via um huh. blackwells in the uk thank you blackwells in the uk um i'm really excited for it to arrive i'm so excited because is that for like, your personal collection or for the library that's for my own me that's for my own me because it's the people who would read it are me and a person from my parents gaming group that i'm gonna lend it to when i'm done and that's it fair enough um Dracula, I know of a couple of gothy kids in, in the area who probably want to read Dracula eventually. I don't think they're going to want to read a translation of a translation of Dracula. That's a little bit too too much. If they come back from university or whatever when they're older and they're like, hey, I heard about this thing and I'm still gothic as heck, I can be like, here's my own personal copy and I trust you enough to borrow it. But it's not going to get circulated enough at the library to actually, you know, do anything. It was also fairly expensive. Like, it was... Because it's, like, fully annotated as well. No, by, okay, like, that's cool. Translators and stuff like that. Like, it, it's, it's part academic text, part translation. Um, because of that... Uh, yeah, it's just not going to get circulated. That that sounds really cool. I mean, it is so cool. <laughs> I'm so excited because it's it's also like when we talked about monsters a while back, I was like trying to remember like pieces of media that I thought I had seen about Dracula himself being a social Darwinist. And I was like, I was so sure that I read something about that. And he doesn't really get into it in the English book, but apparently he really does in Powers of Darkness. Like, huh. gets hmm. deep into, like, how weak humans are and how they don't really deserve to live. It's just like, 
Okay. We're going full, like, mwahaha mustache twirling villain instead of, like... Sounds a little bit like Castlevania Dracula. Yes. Pardon? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot more yeah. similar to Castlevania Dracula. Like, way more similar. Um, what is a man? A li- miserable little pile of secrets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One well, of the rawest anyway, lines looking... of any video game delivered with <laughs> oh, the yeah. worst voice acting for the PS1. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's I'm looking. That's what I'm looking forward to for literature. Also managed to find out find a bunch of out of print books for mum. Again, thank you, Blackwell's hey. UK. Nice. All right. Uh, shall we move on to our topic? We've got a, a big topic to talk about. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about yeah. cosmic horror. But first, uh, let's get that Patreon question in. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. do that. I've got a die. We'll roll it. Let's see what happens here. Hey, okay. This is from Paige Lowe, uh, who hey. asks, if you had an unlimited budget to buy one thing for your game, what would it be? Boy, this is uh this is a question that's gonna get a very different answer in 2020 than when she put yeah. this question yeah. in the table, I suspect. A clean lab with a gaming table in the middle <laughs> and plane tickets for everybody. No, no, that, one, one, one thing, item. That's, that's one item. One item, one item Peter. That's multiple <laughs> items. You're right, it is. I, I just couldn't <laughs> resist the joke, but you're right. I am breaking the rules with that answer. Uh, I'm gonna I'm going to say like a fully funded in-person meeting for the group when the pandemic's over. Cause we've never actually all gamed yeah. in the same room. Yeah. I'd allow that as one item. Yeah. yeah. You know, judging by establishing myself as the arbitrary judge of these arbitrary criteria. <laughs> All right, go ahead. For me, I'm I'm going to do the silly cheap cop-out answer, D&D Beyond subscription, the really big one. Like mm-hmm. I know that what was the, what was our budget again? Oh, unlimited budget. Well, it's still going to be the same dang thing. Um it's I like one of the printables. most expensive things you can buy for D anD D. Yeah, um, I like printables. I, I like, I just like the ability to print things instead of photocopying them and breaking spines. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I just want I just want PDFs and printables. That's, That's fair. really about it. Um, if I had an unlimited budget to buy one thing for my game. I would buy drive through RPG. <laughs> Whoa, okay, really? Okay, well, all right then. Because that Us would... I thinking big. You, you gotta think big here. Buy the company. <laughs> I have access to all of the product. Right? And yeah, I, I'm set, right? I can, I can run a game and whatever at that point. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna think on that scale, buy Watsy and fix that. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> a lot of cleanup to be done over there. <laughs> hey, look! All of a sudden, all of this awesome minority talent that can't get jobs is making official D and D books. What a shock! I wonder what happened. Oh wait, it was bought oh. by someone who cares. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, clean it up, wizards. That's what we're saying. But yeah, yeah. I, I would bu- I would buy a company. I think that's the, the the thinking big answer here. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
All right, uh, Paige. Great yep. question. Fun question. Thank you. Needed that because yep. we're uh, we're getting in deep on this next one. So this is going to be good. Ooh, All right. right. And All if right. you want to support us on Patreon and ask your own question that gets ridiculous answers, you can do that at Patreon.com/savingthegame. Little as a dollar a month, you get to put questions on the list, and for more than that, you get to do other things like help pick episode topics and all sorts of fun stuff. And you know, special yes, and watch us go like from seemingly benign question to rant mode in a few seconds. <laughs> oh no, you get that for free. <laughs> that is yeah. that is what your Patreon dollars provide. To yeah, everyone. that's true. <laughs> All but right. you can be the direct cause of it. Yeah, and that's yeah. got to feel good, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's 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 do our scripture, shall we? This is Exodus chapter 33, verses 17 to 23. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And we have Job 40, verses 1 through 7. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. And we have Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 4 to 14, which I suspect anybody who knows anything about cosmic horror and has read their Bibles knew was coming. I looked, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this— each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side each had the face of a lion, and on the left the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. They each had two wings spreading out upward, each wing touching that of the creature on either side, and each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire, or like torches, Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright, and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. And we have Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. 
The dragon gave the beast his power, and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? So our topic tonight is cosmic horror. And we have to start off by asking ourselves, what is cosmic horror other than 2020? (laughs) (laughs) 2020 is more apocalyptic horror. It is. And we we will talk briefly about the difference between those things. Um, I would I would give a very quick Wikipedia dictionary level definition of cosmic horror is just a fear of things beyond human comprehension and perhaps mm-hmm. add to that what we're talking about, which is genre fiction playing on that fear of yes. things beyond human comprehension. Yes. Want to hear Ken Height's definition? I, I, I got it right do. here. Yeah. So real quick, you yeah. actually own GURPS Horror written by Ken yep. Height. Specifically GURPS Horror 4th Edition, which is for 4th Edition GURPS. Yep. Okay, so I have mentioned this book before on episodes. I'm going to mention it again now. If you are running anything horror or horror adjacent, even, if you want to use like some horror tropes or something, go find yourself a copy of GURPS Horror 4th Edition. It is real, real good. Ken Height did a fantastic job of breaking down all of the different subgenres, like the essential fears that individual monsters and tropes rise out of. It's very, very cool. So here's here's what he's got for cosmic horror. Cosmic horror derives its power from its immensity. The horrors are bigger than the world, older than the world, and in some sense create and underlie the world. They can't be escaped, evaded, or defeated. The only thing that keeps the tiny pockets of innocence that feeble humans call normality in existence is that the horrors have no reason to act directly against them. The horrors will win in millennia. To them, millennia are as seconds to us. In cosmic horror, all knowledge is dangerous, much as all knowledge is doubtful in psychological horror. Everything that seems to explain the world simply reveals more of its innate horror and madness, which makes this style of horror oddly suited to florid surrealistic excesses, as well as to slow academic explorations of the awful truth. And then the rest of it is kind of advice about running a horror game in this style do you want me to keep going or is that a good place no to no stop, i think that's think? a good place to stop that's good. okay uh we have a lot to say on our own we we can yeah mm-hmm. we can let ken height uh respond or something how about that we'll, we'll yeah, let him make, yeah. we'll make sure he listens to this episode you know chimes <laughs> in obviously because he's what's, what's he got going on so when we talk cosmic horror i think it's almost impossible to not talk about hp lovecraft because that yeah. is the that is the in public domain primary source of cosmic horror that although so ma- let's also talk about how Edgar Allan Poe also did a dang good job and he doesn't get he, enough credit for that he either. Absolutely did, and I completely agree. Poe was incredibly influential on Lovecraft for very good reasons. And yeah. Lovecraft, mm-hmm. for all that he was an awful person, uh wrote very good cosmic horror. You know? Um he also, it's also kind super of, racist. Well, like I said, he's not racist. a good person. It's really racist. It, when you're afraid of, like, foreign invaders breeding with other, you know, foreign entities, 
Oh, you're going to get me mad. I know. Uh, get me real yeah, mad. I mean, the, the deep ones in particular are incredibly oh, yeah. racist. Well, just, but I, yeah. I want to mention one other thing while we're on Lovecraft. And Grant, you may have been going here, so I apologize if I have stolen your thunder. But one of the things that he did do that at least indirectly was good is that he was very generous with his IP, which meant that some people like August Derleth and Clark Ashton Smith added to it, and some of the people who have added to the Cthulhu mythos, particularly modern game writers like Ken Height and Sandy Peterson, are not all horrific people. Yeah. So- I mean, like, look at <laughs> look at Harlem Unbound, um, which is the Harlem setting book for Call of Cthulhu, um, written by Chris Spivey. It's phenomenal. And it's about Harlem. Yeah, Yeah, I've heard The Ballad of Black Tom is really good, too, although that's just a novel rather than a gaming book. I've heard some mixed things. But, like, if we're talking specifically, like, people who have been influenced by Lovecraft who are not at all like Lovecraft, um, Chris Spivey's book is a good one. I've gotten the chance to look through it a little bit. I've heard that's one of the best gaming books ever written, actually. I need to get my hands on a copy. I also... Well, <laughs> it's up there with another horror book, too, that I also haven't managed to get my hands on a copy yep. of, but what? That's fair. So, uh, but you're right. Derleth, Clark Aston Smith, a bunch of these others, these all contributed to a larger Cthulhu mythos, as it's called. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, there are other forms of cosmic horror. Um, my One of my personal favorites yeah. is Hellboy, uh, which... It has some cosmic horror yeah. and it kind of touches on a lot of different types of horror, but there is a great deal of cosmic horror in it, which is yeah. wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think my personal favorite work of cosmic horror is much newer, and that's the Mass Effect series. Mm-hmm. I really like that initial trilogy of games. I think the way that it handled cosmic horror was good. I like my horror a little less bleak than Height does, and so... Um, kind of the the themes of open defiance against it and the Mass Effect series were pretty cool sure. to me. Yeah. Dishonored's good for that too. Yeah, I love Dishonored. Dishonored's, Dishonored's wonderful. Dishonored's really, really uh, good and there's for, a whole for that. Because it's also, it's one of the, the like few, I think, or not really few, but like it's, no, you know what? I can only think of Dishonored as like a cosmic horror that doesn't deal with like a physically larger entity than you. Yeah, but is still oh, definitely okay. bigger than you. I didn't even know that Dishonored had cosmic horror in it. I, oh. I thought it was just like a diesel punk like oh, oh, no. stealth it's game. Thing. Punk, but also there is oh, no. uh, some really weird cosmic horror in the background. And by in the background, I mean the yeah, guy who like, lets you I'd teleport. Say, yeah, like the reason you have your magic is this kid who was a sacrifice who became a god. Lowercase g, God. Yep. And he is like, we didn't talk about him nearly enough in our Chaotic Neutral episode. True. We did not. I cannot remember his He's name just right now. The Outsider. The outsider. Yes. The Outsider. I, ju- I just finished Dishonored 2. I'm like, I'm deep it into is, Dishonored I've right watched now. a couple of actual plays, and I desperately want to play it myself, because it's exactly the kind of game I love. It's so fun. It's so fun. It's, I have some, like... 50 or 60 hours in a 12-hour game. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's Dishonored for awesome. me. It's so fun. Um, and also deals with, like, this really powerful entity whose whose motivations are completely alien to you. It's it's this 
good. It's good. And that's something that I'm going to touch on a lot as we talk about cosmic horror is alien motivation. Motivation is always a key Mm -hmm. factor of cosmic horror. What is the goal of this horror? Because that's part of the puzzle solving of the genre in some ways. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the what and why and is that terrible? Well, part of the horror of cosmic horror is... I don't understand. I know it's big. I know it's different, but I can't wrap my head around it. And that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to hit a couple more influences before we completely dig into that stuff, though, because. Yeah, for sure. Um, OK, so because of Jenny, I know of a guy named Jeff Vandermeer who has done some cosmic horror that was pretty good. Yes, uh, although his specifically falls under new weird, <clears throat> which we'll also probably get into. OK, OK. And then, obviously, like, we read some passages from the Bible, including Ezekiel, that uh-huh. definitely get a little weird and trippy. Yes. If I had kept oh, yeah. reading from uh, the exact passage of Job that I read from, you would run into stuff about Behemoth and Leviathan, too. So mm-hmm. go open your Bibles to Job 40 and start reading. <laughs> I believe it's actually in 41 where Behemoth and Leviathan show up. But, yeah. you know, it's it's Job. It's... One of the more readable books of the Bible, um, Mm -hmm. which is saying something because a lot of it is. But um, (laughs) Job's real good is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah. Like Job is, I believe, one of the ones that was written for the purpose of of reading rather than like teaching. It's it's an analysis of of the nature of sin. It's it's like it gets deep, but it's meant to be read. Right. It is literature. It's it's like it's like Jonah that way. You, you hear more about it in evangelical traditions, I think, but the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. There's this idea inherent to a lot of forms of Christianity that we are very small in this very large universe that is is still smaller than the thing that created it. There's this un... We, we literally have mysteries. We have mysteries. They are called mysteries. Yep, yep. Capital M mysteries. Yes. Let's also not forget uh, that Dagon was a lowercase g god that people did worship in the Bible. Uh, and Dagon is also one of H.P. Lovecraft's more known works. It's actually the only one that I've actually read. Babylonian, Sumerian, something like that? I don't remember. We just read about him in Samuel. I believe Babylonian as a sea god, but I, I could be misremembering that horribly. Yeah. Phoenician. There we go. Anyway, there are a number of others in that have kind of picked up this and turned it into their own IPs. D&D's got its Far Realm, which is very Lovecraftian, if we're being honest. Um, Numenera, yeah. 40k have elements of this. Numenera a little more. 40k honestly is barely cosmic horror for me. It's pretty comprehensible. They've they've put a lot of work into writing that up. Yeah. To get away from that for a moment and go back to video games, Control is an excellent video game with really excellent cosmic horror in it. Yeah, but it's real hard. It's <laughs> like I've really been enjoying Control when I can actually progress in it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Remedy does not make easy video games, is what at least not when you're 41 and have slow reflexes anyway. Fair, but uh, oh boy, is it? Um... Oh, it's amazing! It is a work of art. It is like games as literature. This is another one to throw on that list with like Gone Home and 
Firewatch and stuff. It's yeah. Well, good. I mean, they it's real. They, good. they cast it <laughs> like a movie, and it shows. Yeah, uh, but it's also extremely weird and horrible. Yeah. So I mean, there's a bunch of it out there. Like I think we're the we're touching on it so much because not only is it bigger than Lovecraft. It's bigger than I think you initially think of when you say cosmic horror. There's a lot of it out there because mm-hmm. it's fundamentally about a fear of things we can't understand and our world not being what we perceive it to actually be. And that it sort of has yeah. some some overlap with existential horror in some ways, but there, we're really kind of talking about different things. Existential horror is it is horrible to exist, <laughs> whereas cosmic horror is it is horrible to exist in a world that may not be what we believe it to be. Yeah. And I I think one of the issues that you can run into is people are like, well, I don't really want to do Lovecraft. It's a it's, you know, he's a horrible person and B it's played out and has kind of lost some of the impact because of just the pop culture saturation. You have picked up a lot of Lovecraft, whether you've read any Lovecraft at all. Yeah. Yeah. I literally have not read any of Lovecraft's actual stories all the way through And yet from gaming books and internet Mm -hmm. memes and, you know, stuff like that, I know quite a bit about the Well, and the thing is, it is public domain. And that is one reason it is so popular. It, you know, uh, Sandy Peterson did a very good job of finding a very influential set of works that were in the public domain and he could make an excellent game about. So... Yeah. And it doesn't hurt that Sandy Peterson is real good at game design. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so it's it basically, it's a case of our city now. We get to do what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty much. Which mm-hmm. can be good and can be bad. Yeah, depending. but let's let's talk about the tropes that are common to this. Because if you're mm-hmm. wanting to run Cosmic Horror, and we'll talk about why you might and what you need to do with that a little bit later, but let's talk about what might be expected in a Cosmic Horror story or game. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to start with... Maybe maybe switch things around a little from what we often do on these episodes where we talk about it and then we talk about the Christian part of it. Let's talk about the Christian part of this first. There is a lot of mm-hmm. maltheism in cosmic horror, namely, you know, the gods are real and terrible. That is not necessary for cosmic horror, but it comes up a great deal. I should stress that part of the reason it's written that way is because that is horror, right? Um, when we had yeah. Ken yeah. Height on several years ago to talk about horror, he described Lovecraft as writing about the horror of a world where God isn't real. And I was that always kind of stuck yeah. with me because people think, oh, well, he's, you know, cosmic horror is all about this and I, I don't want to read it. Well, no, that's the scary part. That's the part that's supposed to make you be afraid. Mm-hmm. And it's okay for that to be there. Yeah, like... Because that's the point. Yeah, it's it's like speculative fiction. Horror is an aspect, mm-hmm. a, a lot of the time, of speculative fiction. Yeah. A what if. And the idea that there is no God or that God wants to hurt you as a speculation of horror does not mean that it's bad for Christians to read about it or play with that idea. Because we know IRL that our God loves us and is good and a good God. Mm -hmm. That 
is made of love. But what if he wasn't? <laughs> but what if though? It's the it's playing around with a lot of what ifs. Well, and it, okay, so we Grant mentioned kind of like right at the beginning, it's not necessary for things to be atheistic or maltheistic in order for this to work. And yeah. it is possible in a world where God exists and is still as we as Christians understand God to be to still have other stuff that is less than God, but vastly more powerful than humanity mm -hmm. that has those same kind of either malicious or depraved indifference attitudes uh, towards humanity and or other sapient life if you have it. Mm hmm. And you still have cosmic yeah. horror because you have these things that are so much more vast that you can't even understand mm -hmm. them, even if they're not all the way at the top of the cosmic right. hierarchy. Now, it should be stressed that you can also very much have cosmic horror that is firmly grounded in Christian tradition. Because, I mean, yeah. look at what the we, look at we the already have we it. Read. It's like, yeah, yeah. like. Revelation, just the whole book of Revelation. Wait, Revelation, I'm going to quibble a little bit because that's apocalyptic literature as opposed to like horror okay. literature. And the message of apocalyptic literature is hope. Fundamentally, yeah. that's what it's about. It describes a lot of trying times, but it the imagery is mm -hmm. very grounded in understandable mythology in a way. Right. You know, dragons and beasts hmm. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I. Yeah, but if you see my face, well, you sure. will die, even though yeah, I love you. Yeah, yeah. When we're talking Cosmic about horror you know, stuff. the original books of the Bible, you know, the Pentateuch. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That's, we're talking about a lot of that sort of thing. Ezekiel and Job and many of these others. A lot of the imagery that's used in the, uh, the poet's traditions, the prophet's traditions, is very abstract to the point where it becomes sort of that cosmic, hard to comprehend sort of approach. There's a game that I have been meaning to try. Uh, that I found a while back on Drive-Thru RPG called uh, Rapture, The End of Days, which is theological. Okay. I'm aware horror. of this. And yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes because it's really well reviewed and um, look, it looks excellent, frankly. The idea basically is, you know, it's hundreds of years in the future. Humanity has, you know, you know migrated out to the stars and we don't have religion anymore. Science is our thing. But the rapture happened. And the rapture happened on Earth. But not all of humanity was on Earth. So now what? Yeah, that's a very compelling setup. It is. Um, mm -hmm. And now it's like, okay, well, clearly... Science is not all that there is. But we also need all of this science to keep, you know, our colony on this planet functioning. So that's a thing. And, um, oh, we're squabbling and there's, there's weird religions popping up and, oh, there's unexplainable horrors emerging all around us. Now what? Well, and also to say nothing of the fact that it's like, okay, so that implies that in order to properly go on to the final judgment and whatever afterlife is awaiting you, you needed to be on earth. So... Well, maybe, because it's really not clear if the people scattered to this, you know, who were out among the stars have just been forgotten or abandoned by God or given a second chance. It's not clear. Yeah. 
so yeah, it's it looks mm-hmm. super and, cool. And uh, that's that's a very compelling yeah. setup because mm-hmm. it would be very easy to believe either one of those based on what you said, and it's like, oh yeah, that's some cosmic stuff there. It is, but this actually <laughs> yeah. br- brings us back to some of these tropes that we're talking about. Mystery is at the core of cosmic horror. The dis- the the process yeah, of finding and, and out. solving it is dangerous. Okay, yes, but fundamentally, the through line is this is a mystery. What is going on? And then the revelation at the end is often the the climactic moment of horror. But mm-hmm. the mystery of what is causing reality to not behave in the way I expected. It, and you know the the mm-hmm. understanding, and as you dig in further and further, you're trying to find out. That through line of mystery is what leads you to that final revelation. And that's one Mm -hmm. of the core elements. So I don't think – basically, if you're running a cosmic horror game, you can't go, and uh, yeah, so everybody roll for initiative. There's a bunch of aberrations and tentacles. No, no, it doesn't work that way. Start small. Little weird things, right? Little strangenesses. And then it has to build as you get – Deeper and deeper and deeper into an understanding and every level of understanding both adds to the mystery and makes the horror more present. I didn't even know that this is what I was doing with Croucher until you laid it out like that. Okay, well, that's exciting. (laughs) That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm trying to do with Croucher. Croucher is my character in our regular D&D game. Little halfling. Um who won't show their hands and is obsessed with hands and has these little weirdnesses. And I've been building up the little weirdnesses bit by bit, bit by bit, until uh, on Saturday, Croucher opened a portal into the void. Yeah. And and this is one <laughs> of those really easy things to do in any game. Hey, there's a... Okay, let me say not any game... A game like D&D, where there's a lot of pre-built spells yeah. and that sort of thing, please reskin them. Reskin them mm-hmm. on the fly. Let them be whatever. You know, the, the yeah. something of Hadar, whatever that, that spell that you cast. Hunger, Hunger of Hadar. Four-level spell that basically creates a 40-foot-wide sphere of blackness and whispering and tentacles and causes acid and cold damage when you're in it. Okay, cool. Right. It's a area of effect damaging spell that has some battlefield control applications. I get it. Great. Well, you know, Jenny was like, hey, can I just reskin it like this? I don't care. Yeah, sure. Yeah, like I, I didn't even change what kind of damage it yeah. did. I mean, it did knuckle cracking damage. It, it just, so, ins- you know, knuckle cracking damage um, or whatever. Well, I, I think I think we kept the damage type, but it- yeah, we, we kept the damage the same. But like instead of of weird whispers and and like weird slurping sounds, it was knuckle cracking and like the sound that your hands make when you rub them together, right, which is honestly worse for me because, yeah. because <laughs> no, but here's why that's more relatable weirdness it's something i can imagine yeah right whereas mm-hmm. if i just go oh there's whispers yeah I, I whispers aren't scary i get it right but if i'm hearing constant knuckle cracking yeah, i it's... can comprehend that but then it's also like that's really out of place i hear whispering constantly i have children i'm used to just voice noises <laughs> i mean yeah, okay honestly it's, with a four-year-old and a seven-year-old it's more yelling but still like sounds i i like the idea that having children like somehow 
lowers your sanity pool size, but also makes it more durable. Oh, yeah. No, I've got a lot of hardened notches on my Unknown Armies character sheet. Don't you worry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You get get different ones working in a public library with children. You get entirely different ones in retail. Just working with the general public. I was talking with another librarian friend of mine, um, and she's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm just immune to the horrors of random bodily fluids now. So... Yeah, you kind of have to be. Yeah. I've been I've been actually I've actually been really lucky, but there was that one time where I realized that my library did not have a toilet plunger. That was a very That's bad a day. day. <laughs> and oh. it's a very bad but day. But that gets into weirdness, right? Um Yeah. Weirdness is a key part of this because what you're trying to represent yes. is something nature going wrong, right? Nature, the nice, Mm -hmm. orderly, neat, structured, classical physics model of nature all around us, you know, as designed by God, is suddenly, you know, the curtain is torn back and we see what's really there. Or something comes through from behind the curtain and reveals that all of this is just an easily manipulated facade, right? And that has weird effects. Or, yeah, so... so this is where we get into the genre, the writing genre of new weird, which Jeff Vandermeer, uh, God bless him, he's he seems like a lovely dude, basically helped invent mm-hmm. because he didn't want to be associated with Lovecraft, f- very fair, mm-hmm. and also didn't want to be beholden to the tentacle monsters. So what do you do? You just make stuff weird. For those who have not read Annihilation... Re- do do that it's prime new weird it's just it goes beyond like oh th- oh no fish people like yeah whatever fish people we're, we're done with fish people fish people are done now let's do um it's 2020 the, <laughs> it's 2020 let's talk about lighthouses that are underground but we still know they're lighthouses like um getting deep into individual characters points of view and the they're like the characters acknowledging the, their own selves that they may not, might not be reliable because their perceptions of reality have been warped so beyond what they thought that they could they thought could be warped it's exploring i I'd, I'd say it's exploring less horror more uh almost deranged fascination yeah. a lot of the time um, by the way annihilation specifically mm-hmm. annihilation specifically yeah, the Annihilation uh, movie yeah. is definitely cosmic horror too, but from what I understand but the talking to Jenny, it's very not, different. It's way different. It's so different. Like, the fact that you can... They tried to visually represent something that is that can't be visually represented in the book. Like, it straight up says, yeah, I can't describe this because I don't know what I saw. I definitely saw something, but like... I don't know. I just got a weirdy feeling and I was aware that something was in my field of vision, but I cannot describe it to you. I'm going to try, but my human words are lacking. Yeah. So first two things. First, I'd never saw Annihilation or have read the book yet. I actually am just looking at the online library uh, system to see what Jeff Vandermeer is available to me. Um, And to tangent away for just a moment, uh, Wonder Book is available, and that looks super cool because that is Jeff Vandermeer's illustrated guide yeah. to creating imaginative fiction. So yeah, which which Peter oh, likes and owns and okay. is holding up that, to that the camera sounds right neat. now. <laughs> I have to finish it, but yeah, I, it's um, it's good. Annihilation, yeah. the movie from the trailers looked a great deal like the color out of space in space. So you know, take 
Uh, it's more like it's the not in Colorado space. of space in the Louisiana swamp with military teams going to okay, investigate it. There was a spacesuit involved, so I just I assumed. thought it was Florida. Uh, it was very okay. Florida well, to it's me. Very, it was very, very Florida Colorado to me. Space. It's Southern like, swamps. Like, like, when I first read it, I was like, in like within the first two chapters, I was like, this person lives in Florida. And then I looked it up. And yes, Jeff Van Dyke does live in Florida. Uh, but what I was going to say. Okay, hold on, so hold we on. have another reason to visit <laughs> yeah. Florida then. Uh, well, and see my family, obviously. But, um, you know, which okay, again, ties yeah. into Cosmic Court. No. Um, but. <laughs> your family is not Cosmic I had, I had to get the big in. I apologize. Oh, oh, um, oh, can we actually talk about the movie Cthulhu? Because, yes. Anyway. Like, oh my goodness. Anyway, no, it's okay. Sorry. What I was going to say is. Um, one of the things that you just talked about, Jenny, was, you know, it's like, I can't describe this visually. That works really well at a game because in the vast majority of cases, you're not describing mm-hmm. things visually at the table, right? You're having to yeah. say words to put mental images into people's heads. One of the most effective ways to do mm-hmm. that uh, and to get across this sense of weirdness and horror is to appeal to other senses, uh, I did this in the Colony game, and I think I've talked about this once before on the show, but I did this in the Colony game with uh, Sal, the little miniature beholder, when you all foolishly asked his name. And because yeah. it was like, Sal, that's a weird <laughs> name for a beholder. Well, my no- my normal name, and bear in mind, this is a little helper beholder, I think a spectator or something like that. Yeah. You know, little, yeah. low-level D&D beholder monster that was acting as basically a major domo to a wizard in this weird little arcane sanctuary. And there, he was like, and you know, they're like, Sal. Well, yeah, my, my normal name doesn't fit into human brains. Well, yeah. And it was a bunch of what, weird disconnected what sensory input. And yeah, if I remember correctly, basically it was like, Oh, well, okay. Something wedges it into your brain, uh, which as near as you can tell is the taste of spoiled salt uh, a thousand glass symbols screaming together, and the intensely erotic sensation of your third cervical vertebra being crushed into powder inside you. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> right? Something yeah. along those lines. And, you know, the idea is, let's do nothing that's very visual, but have it very invasive and weird and uncomfortable. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that was the whole idea i spent like 10 minutes coming up with how i was going to present sal's name before the game i'm not gonna lie wow (laughs) because i wanted that moment of we're gonna go back to sal please be sal keep that like we're gonna touch on cosmic horror we're going to indicate that it's present and then we're gonna go please keep that over there we are a fighter a rogue and a cleric you know, so <laughs> yeah. you know, like I wanted that. If you're in a game where that is more the point, have more of that sort of weird sensation. You have to say the words out loud mm-hmm. anyway. Don't just talk about what people might see, right? Touch. One sense, of one of the things smell. that I've used to describe like weird cosmic stuff is glowing darkness. Yeah. Paradoxes Use, like contradictory paradoxes terms, are you know? wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, impossibilities. Because, again, it gets into that idea of nature being artificial and, and torn and distorted, right? So, um, I mean, even Terry Pratchett's Octarine, right? A greenish purple. Oh, yeah. Right? It's, he's not writing cosmic yeah. horror, but it has that element of impossibility well, that makes you go, uh, what? 
hold on, what? And that's what you want. Yeah. There's another part of this which is bleakness or hopelessness. That is a very common mm-hmm. part of cosmic horror. It does not have to be there because I don't I don't see it at all in in you weird. I don't see it very much at all in a lot of newer cosmic horror. I think we're done with with bleakness for yeah, now. It's gotten tired I agree. because it can get really edge lordy real quick. It can. And I'm just I'm just tired. Well, I'm just and tired. And more to the point, it's not really there in Mass Effect either. I think either. it's just bad. Like Go there's ahead. this Sorry. Yeah. There's this constant thread of like hope and defiance in the face of these just incredible odds Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. mass effect that that really is like a key part of the narrative but those reapers are absolutely cosmic horror Uh, especially Mm -hmm. that initial conversation with sovereign in the first game is really cosmic horror i think part Mm -hmm. of it is that we we want gameable cosmic horror and you can't do anything about this does not lend itself well to gaming Except unless you no. are specifically buying into, don't worry, my character is going to die at the end of it and hopefully barely hold off whatever this is if you're playing Call of Cthulhu, mm-hmm. which yeah. is fine. If you if you go into it knowing that that's how the game yeah. ends, great. I love that. But I think, especially in a video game context like Mass Effect, but in general, I think if we're making this gameable, that means the players have agency. It doesn't mean they're going to win, but it means yeah. that they can't just be – this can't be so overwhelmingly powerful and the situation so completely hopeless, not just in terms of power, but like structurally there's nothing you can do. Like what are you going to do? Fight the core of reality? Fight the like literal substructure of the universe? You can't do that, right? So yeah. there is a – I think – opportunity for more gameable uh interactable cosmic horror yeah because i mean Mm -hmm. if you take it to the the level that it's sometimes presented at it's like you know you sit down to the con game it's like all right everybody got your character sheets all right great you all go mad explode disintegrate and die sessions over everybody have a good one con game that was called cthulhu if you're the con five it was excellent right but again Mm -hmm. you go into it knowing Half the table's characters are not walking away. And that's delightful. Yeah, you're, you're going to go mad and some of you are going to die. And yeah, that's that's part of the core tropes. But like I said, if, if you take it to the, the ludicrous extreme, your session will literally just be a few seconds because they're, mm-hmm. you'll just in, instantly be annihilated body and mind by this. Well, there's no point in even rolling any dice. So or that trying does to have a touch plot. actually on something else. The reason that doesn't happen is because humans are insignificant, right? It's it's poking yeah. around at the things mm-hmm. that are much bigger than you this, that brings the horror down upon you, right? You get stepped on accidentally by these massive cosmic entities. That's sort of the, the insignificance yeah. of the human experience. Yeah, I mean, what, what like, I'm trying to say, yeah. I guess, is like this: this cosmic power is like a nuclear reactor or something like that. Don't structure a game so that players drop from above the nuclear reactor right into the reaction. Let them find the reactor and realize yeah. it's going on. Well, no, what you do is you find slightly elevated radiation levels and follow that mystery back to the reactor. That would be the trail that you yeah. would follow. But there's 
yeah, don't don't skip ahead to the moment where everybody is. Just yeah, like, again. Okay. <laughs> yeah, don't just drop him in the rod bay. Like that's not. Yeah, how the, it has to have that ramp up yeah. that we talked about. And again, the power overwhelming. Yeah. You're yeah. ramping up, right? It's okay to be like, oh, this is insanely mm-hmm. powerful because it's weird and unnatural. Like that's fine, but you can't start there. Yeah, yeah. you got to build. Or if you do, you have to let the players close the door. Like, it's like if you're going through a dungeon. And you open a door and you see something that you're just not ready to handle yet. Just let them yeah. close the or door and walk let away just, let, let and that, figure it out later. Let that lich say, you have 10 seconds to leave or I'm going to flood this room with poison gas. And everybody goes, yeah, all right. Yeah. Have a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> something else that yeah. actually happened <laughs> yes, in our game. Because it's built into the Princes yep. of the Apocalypse module and is really delightful. Yeah. <laughs> Let's also talk a little bit about uh, mental health and sanity. Sanity mm-hmm. mechanics are a big part of cosmic horror because the idea is the world is so big that we cannot comprehend it and that fractures and damages the mind and psyche. That's kind of a core piece of mm-hmm. cosmic horror. At the very least, there is a moment where it's like, I don't understand this and I have to figure out how to cope with what I don't understand. Now, two things on this. First... Make sure everyone at the table has established boundaries clearly, that they know what's going on in the game. Not, like, necessarily the exact details of what's coming up, but, like, you've all done all of your safety precautions. You know, everybody has bought into the fact that this is a cosmic horror game that's going to involve, you know, this sort of thing if you're going this route, right? That's just basic safety. We've talked about that over and over. Do that, okay? Mm -hmm. It's just taking care of the people at at your table that you are there to take care of as a human and a Christian. But I think it is possible to have cosmic horror without loss of sanity being a major mechanic of the game and a major theme. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of story, just to be clear. Yeah. Right? But, like, Hellboy does this very well. Because people are facing up against it, and they suffer physically. But the, there's no, like mental damage except maybe to a couple of minor villains who you know get transformed well there's definitely a lot of like stress and misery and like yeah but it's not it it, it plays out in very realistic ways they they suffer like ptsd and anxiety and depression and that sort of thing but they don't turn into that hollywood madman right. that we've talked uh... about in like Episode 145, which was our mental health, insanity, and madness episode, and also mentioned in the chaotic neutral one, or at least the... Okay, Jenny's pointing at something here. Yeah, so I've recently gotten into BPRD, which is the spinoff series of Hellboy, specifically BPRD Hell on Earth, and... I'm afraid that that BPRD does get into a little bit more of that kind of thing, where um, I cannot for the life of me remember his name. What's his name? Uh, buddy with a giant sword. Um, it does see some stuff and does go McFreaking nuts and is very hard to predict. And uh, so, so okay, yeah, BPRD gets into it a little red, bit. You know, yeah, it, it, yeah, no, Hellboy the character. Um, I I feel like maybe a little bit. Uh, immunish from from the mental side of things because he is from the other dimension. He is the horror. 
that's the thing about Hellboy. He's or he was meant to be the horror. And so I don't think we can necessarily put him on the same level as the average human being. Here's yeah, here's the thing. I think because he is the perspective character in most of those stories, I don't think I think narratively we still have to have him cope with that or at least brush it off. And a lot of times what he does is he just brushes it off and says, I don't want to think about that, which I think is a Mm -hmm. perfectly valid way of handling it in a cosmic horror game. You you Mm -hmm. look at it and go, can't comprehend that. Not going to try. Just gonna punch it. And that's okay. Yep. Right. You you mm-hmm. have you bring in those elements, but you, you don't necessarily dwell on them and go down the hole. Oh, uh, roll on your random insanity table. Uh, you have developed a phobia of shoes, you know, like whatever. Also, please have better ways of handling insanities than random tables. Just just saying. Oh, yeah. My favorite one. My absolute favorite one is the GM said this was during a Delta Green game. The GM said basically, all right. You've lost your last sand point. You're broken. Fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah, that's a great way to handle. You get to yeah. choose your reaction in in that in that small way, and I think that's that's a, a really it good is. way. And to that's do actually it. built into the unknown army's rules. When you uh, when you have a, mm. a break, mm-hmm. that's basically what it is. You, it's yeah, fight it's or like flight. what do you do? Yeah, yeah. Great system, by the way, that touches on cosmic horror but doesn't, like, dwell in it. Yeah. But if you're going to have this, I think it is a very viable piece of that cosmic hor- horror milieu, and it's fun because it's an excuse to let your characters go kind of crazy at the table, and that is fun. That is genuinely yeah. delightful, okay? Remember that mm-hmm. that con game that I talked about? I definitely shotgunned another mm-hmm. player character at the end of the game because I had been <laughs> taken over and gone crazy. And you know what? That was more fun than uh, you take some damage from this extra dimensional horror. All right. It was much more to be like, I guess it's PVP now, boys. Um, (laughs) You know, and and then they they took my character down and finished the fight. And I think one person got to limp away. uh, And it was great fun. I, I think the other thing that you're you're touching on here that might be good to remember is a lot of the time, not always, but a lot of the time, cosmic horror really, I think, shines the most in a limited scope kind of a thing. It's really hard mm-hmm. to do a long running D&D style cosmic horror game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, y- your, your protagonists are going to be too fragile in comparison to what's going on in the world and the whole like core loop of constant advancement and stuff is it just can't stretch out that long. I I've always think wondered. I know how I personally would do it, but it's, I think, I think I know how I personally would do it, but it's not, it's not a campaign that would last for like years and mm-hmm. years and years. I'm thinking maybe like, I think I could run a year long campaign with cosmic horror as a main theme. <laughs> I, I have some cosmic horror stuff in the D and D game that I'm running on Sundays but the players don't run into it very often, and yeah. I am saving the worst of it for some endgame stuff if the story winds up going that way. So Yeah, I think if I was going to do long term, I would go with the Study in Emerald setting as a long term cosmic horror game because there is a resistance built in. Basically, the the premise behind a study in Emerald, it's based on a 
short story by Neil Gaiman. And there's a board game now and a graphic novel. And they're all fantastic. But uh, all of the world's royals are basically Cthulhu's children. The the horrors took over and now... And that was like, you know, centuries ago. And now it's just normal. It's just part of everyday life. But there are still resistance groups. I think you could do... You, you would really have to be careful, though, not to get into the whole... Oh, you you take five tentacle damages this round kind of thing. Yeah. Like you you would have to really work to consistently keep up an atmosphere. It would it would lend in really well to the sort of like potential for hope versus hopelessness and and that kind of thing. But I think that's that would be the theme that you'd have to lean on the most right. heavily. And that points to something else. Oh, I, sorry, go ahead, Peter. Well, it, it sounds like Robin Law's Yellow King role-playing game at least gets most of the way there. It might. Now that I think about it, but mm. that's broken down into, like, four separate settings that you play characters throughout and stuff. It's very yeah, specific. It's, it's shorter <laughs> stories. One mm-hmm. thing that, Jenny, you touched on real quick is that sense of dread, right? Where it's kind of yeah. there and you're just you're waiting to uncover it and you're waiting for that next shoe to drop. That is both an in-character thing and an out-of-character mm-hmm. thing in cosmic horror games and indeed in yes. horror games in general, but I think it is important to emphasize here. Your character mm-hmm. has to walk into a danger pretty stupidly sometimes in cosmic horror. Mm-hmm. You ha- And part of the fun of a cosmic horror game should be, I think, and and every group can do this differently, and maybe you'll find a way to do this where there, you don't have this. You have the, the jump scare, you have the surprise horror, but for me, the dread is, out of character, as an observer of my character and the other characters, I know this is going to end badly. I know no one's getting out of this Call of Cthulhu scenario unscathed. It's going to be awful. <laughs> but the dread of, let's see what happens to these idiots. Let's see what, Mm -hmm. and not even idiots, it's let's see what happens to these perfectly well-meaning people who are reacting Mm -hmm. pretty much as they should, but also with that that fatal sense of curiosity that's going to get them in trouble. And let's just, it's going to go so badly for them. Let's all watch together. Let's run them headlong Mm -hmm. into that knowing that they don't know it's coming and we do, that is such a wonderful yep. sense. And I think it's even stronger in cosmic horror, right? Yeah. Horror doesn't work great without at least some it, it does I think. You, mm-hmm. Because if it gets yeah. comical at that point, right? Lol zombies, lol mm-hmm. vampires, right? But with that, that sense of dread, there is that bleed, but also it is a dread of knowing what's coming. Even if you don't know exactly what the thing that's coming is, I don't know, maybe you do. Maybe you've memorized all of the mythos and you know all of the signs, but your character does it. And you're like, well, my character would definitely go lift the lid on the Shoggoth pot, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is, you know, it's like my character would definitely study these runes. Yeah, there was a I'm, role-playing public radio has done a lot of Call of Cthulhu, and I don't necessarily love everything that they, they do. Um, but they they do some good Call of Cthulhu stuff, and one of them that I absolutely loved was, uh, yeah, okay, you find this magic, sc- you find a, a weird spell, a scroll. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're trying to read it. Oh. 
Does your character read it out loud trying to sound it out? <sighs> oh. and, and the guy thought for a second went, yeah, yeah, he would. Yes. <laughs> and you don't know what's going to happen at the other end of saying yes. But you know it's going to be terrible for your character. Yeah. And that dread of, oh, this is going to be bad for me, that's what makes it work. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's that's what's delightful. That's what's fun. Uncaring yeah. Universe. That's another piece of this. Yes. This is where uh, I think this and a little bit of Malthusian yeah. as well. This, this kind of touches on a lot of these where things. Where I see a... Yeah, uh, like all of these things are are interconnected, but especially uncaring universe and and maltheism. This is where I think a lot of marginalized communities come yeah. in because this is a genre where you know that there is something bigger than you that either doesn't care whether you live or die or actively wants you dead. Right. It is inimical to. This you. is what it's like. Yeah, this is what it's like growing up in the church as I did, genderqueer and ace, and knowing that by certain teachings, God wanted me dead. Right. Like, these are things that that marginalized communities have definitive proof of. And so to be able to project those, those fears onto a, an entity can be really kind of freeing and really nice. And it is a good metaphor for it to try and make that comprehensible to people who, like me, don't have to live in fear of a, you know, system that actively wants to kill me, at least, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, cosmic horror is not perhaps the worst analogy that a cishet white male wasp like moi <laughs> can use as kind of a, a shorthand or metaphor for what it's like being black in the south sure I mean get yeah, out just this, everything around this. you everything larger than you is terrifying and hostile and well, uh, you know like things that are mundane can snatch you out of the world I mean, in a it, second it's a you rough know, watch by mm-hmm. all accounts but go watch get out Oh, oh, but you should. I know I should. Like, I, I, it is in my top five favorite movies. I I know it's excellent, and I know how deeply it's it's going to hurt. And I, yes, um, but that's also the thing that, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's, it's like the, which one is it? Is it sadism or masochism that's hurting yourself? Uh, Masochism. Well. Masochism. Masochism. Yeah, masochism (laughs) is wanting to experience pain. Okay, so, so like. I feel like there is a little bit of masochism in every horror fan. Yeah. Like, you want to experience... For me, jump scares are physically painful. When I played Eldritch on stream, I had to stop after two hours because my skin hurt, and then I timed it, and it was still hurting 45 minutes later after a bad jump scare. Like, none... I don't think that playing cosmic horror should always be comfortable. No. Because, like, this is about unveiling the horrors of the universe, which is, there's a lot of, of, like, potential metaphor there. Like, like, suddenly realizing that your friends live in a very different reality from Mm -hmm. you. That your experience is not the universal experience. It's this lifting of the veil yeah 
and it's it is deeply uncomfortable and it should be if it's not deeply uncomfortable examine yourself further because you're probably not doing it right yeah i mean within the boundaries of what you can tolerate i would say like you know like i said get yeah. out i know is going to wreck me in, in ways that are like mm-hmm. extremely deeply uncomfortable and i'm just like i know it's important i don't know if i'm in a, a headspace to handle that right now you know uh, and fair. again, when you're at a yeah. table, obviously, you know, a gaming table, you got to use all of those safety tools that we've talked about, all that sort of thing. But I think you are correct. That mm-hmm. bleed is important because if you're not experiencing it, mm-hmm. you're just kind of playing a comedy game because fundamentally, unless mm-hmm. that bleed is there, it's silly. Yeah. Right. But again, you know, with safety and bleed, like hey, this is going to be much more effective if I traumatize my players for no. real, does not cut yeah. it as an excuse no. to do that. No, no, absolutely Full not. Stop. You do not get to do that just for the yeah. sake of your game. Having Also, one thing I should stress, there's a lot of really good indie RPGs that are right in that, that uh, design space uh, that you were just talking about, Jenny, the idea of like, you know, getting into, uh, getting into the experience of particular marginalized communities. There's a lot of those indie games that that do that, and many of them are horror games. Yeah, you know, and that's that is a very good starting point to get a very specific sensation and hear a very specific voice. And I think those are very important. Much they're sort of the the game designer version of the you know my my lived experience novel. Yeah. Two of the most highly regarded gaming books ever published, Harlem Unbound, which we mentioned earlier, and Charnel Houses of Europe, the Shoah, which is about the Holocaust for Wraith the Oblivion, are horror books. I mean, I keep talking about unknown armies. You know, it's... Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the most readable RPG systems ever. It's all kinds of, like, observations about human behavior and... Um, stuff in its mechanics, like the, the the way that it handles mental strain in particular is Yeah, and brilliant. the idea of coming up with metaphors for mm-hmm. human horror is kind of valuable, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Anything else on this before we move on? Mm, um, not okay. especially. Um, we've kind of touched a little bit on this. Uh, some of cosmic horror is this idea of like, you know, there is something outside our reality. Sometimes it is, uh, our reality is not what it seemed at all in the first place. I don't have a lot to say about this, but I think it's important to kind of just decide what you're doing with that. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's whatever genre you're in or whatever game or setting has kind of defined this. Again, D&D has the far realms, that sort of thing. It does, uh, Cosmic Horror, we kind of touched on this earlier, It where I said it overlaps with existential horror. It can overlap with a lot of horrors. Body horror is very common, H.R. Mm-hmm. Geiger. Gothic horror, uh, Darkest yeah, Dungeon. that's a, an excellent one. Yep. Yeah, anything like that. Uh, it, it, there's also existential horror where it's like, you know, dealing with memory and like, you know, what, I woke up on this weird spaceship, what's going on, right? All of that sort of horror, uh, it blends yeah. well. And I think it is one of those where you can add it as a spice to just about anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll often see a mix of like magic and tech or like, you know, Clark's third law, uh, which is any technology sufficiently advanced sure. is indistinguishable from magic thing. can yeah. be in effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, also things like the Yithians from the Cthulhu right. mythos or... Um, 
I mean, there's another example on the tip of my tongue, even and I've Eberron lost it, but has yeah. elements of this where the you know it's like the tech the oh yeah technical scientific approach to magic, right? The entire Mornland yeah. is cosmic I mean, sure, or the uh, the Dale Gear and all that sort of stuff, right? Time travel, time travel is a fun one for me because that's sci-fi. It often touches on hopelessness, the idea of like. I'm reliving experiences, but I can't really change them or I'm trying to change them and it can't change no matter what I do. I'm not getting it right. That I That's always a, a very easy place to slip in. Cosmic horror without any monsters. It's just, I can't do this. Reality doesn't work this way. Reality yeah. is not what I thought it was or wanted it to be. Uh, and of course, yeah. um, mm -hmm. you know, a, a slider style dimensional travel kind of game is always fun for your cosmic horror. And again, that contributes to... If you want to play around with that a little bit, to plug another couple of GURPS books, they did two alternate Earths books for GURPS. And while they do not tend to be heavy on supernatural elements, the idea of slipping through time and ending up in a world where the Nazis won and took over the entire planet is sure. pretty horrifying. I mean, Philip K. Dick beat us all to that with Man in the High Tower, but, you know, yeah, he, he did. did it very well. <laughs> but Man, Man in the, the High Castle, castle but yeah. Yeah, it just... But that doesn't mean it's not a, an excellent game anyway. But again, this idea of, like, you know, technology that's so... we I think the incomprehensibility of technology to a lot of people and its ubiquitousness can easily lend itself to cosmic horror... Uh, especially, you know, ideas of like, oh, our reality is a simulation, right? That very modern idea. That's very cosmic horror. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, thinking about this and talking about it, I see little tiny traces of this in deeply technophobic oh, end yeah. users. They, they tend mm, to treat yeah. technology as like this unknowable thing that wants to hurt mm -hmm. them. And it's really hard to get around that perspective sometimes, especially mm -hmm. with people who are older and just not you know what used I'm gonna, to it. I'm going to disagree you know? with you very slightly. In my experience helping a lot of those people, they don't see it as out to hurt them. They have that sense of, I am insignificant before this and unable to control it, and it will hurt me if I do the wrong thing. And I don't know what to do about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's largely correct. You know, the I idea think. of like, yeah, well, um, I, you know, the computer just does what it wants. You know, I, the stupid computer is doing things, you know, that I didn't tell it to do. Well, that's not true because you downloaded that virus. But you know, it's you know, there, there's a lot of that kind of thing going involved, and there's that almost ritual sense of if I do the right things, it will appease this force I cannot really comprehend. Do you know how many people? send me log files and screenshots in Word documents when I'm doing technical troubleshooting because, well, that's just what they've always done. It's that ritual of, or, you right. know, so many people, I was reading some story uh, that someone was telling on the internet about, you know, this one person who, you know, was like, oh, well, how do I open this in a web browser? They would open up Word, copy the URL into that, and then click on the URL in Word once it became an active hyperlink because that's how they'd always done it and that was the ritual and it worked oh boy. and they couldn't learn anything beyond that because what would it would mess it up 
And it's that idea of like, this is uncontrollable. I have found a way to live where I don't get stepped on by this, this technical reality that I'm living in. And if I don't shake anything up, I might get through the day. It's that very, that, that's a very real sense. And I think there's a lot of room to expand on that in games. Um, and I think taken to bigger extremes, you know, the Matrix, you know, where we're all living in a simulated reality and really we're all, you know, food for computer monsters, literally, you know, as stupid as the premise is, technically, it is cosmic horror in the sense of our reality, our cosmos mm -hmm. is fundamentally horrifying when we look deeper. Mm -hmm. Okay, so <laughs> I, I didn't think I was going to go here in this, but I actually just finished writing a blog post earlier today, the day that we were recording this episode, about basic security proficiency for yeah. end users. It will have been up for about a week by the time you hear this episode. If you suffer from a little bit of that yourself, hopefully that post helps. <laughs> it's one of the longer ones I've ever written mm -hmm. about 3,500 words long. or so. Yeah. I think it's also, I think, you know, t talking about this, I think the, the whole fear of the computer is also related to the world is suddenly bigger than we thought it was. Yeah. Because a lot of the people that I deal with at the, coming into the library, or used to deal with coming into the library, would need help opening their email and then talk about how it's so good that we can talk to whoever we want, but it's so bad that we can talk to whoever we want. Yeah. The, all of a sudden, the world has been made bigger by this technology that we have made. All of a sudden, this curtain has been lifted and we are seeing more than we ever thought we could, and it is overwhelming. Okay, so since this is the episode where I plug GURPS books, I'm going to plug another one. <laughs> GURPS Monsters, the, the first time I actually got writing published. There is a monster in there called Shub Internet <laughs> that is like this malign Lovecraftian cosmic entity lurking inside the digital space of the Internet. <laughs> Let me... It's a... It's a great yeah. book. It's got that's a, an interesting monster entry. I would highly recommend it if you want to play with this whole idea of technology as cosmic horse. Dart with that. One thing, actually, let's let's talk a little bit about this. I think Jenny, you touched on this briefly. The idea of like, oh, you know, the world is different than it was. Innovation fatigue is a real yeah. thing, and I think there is a mm -hmm. horrifying element to many people of. The world around me has changed and I didn't keep up. I've been left behind yeah. and or, you know, or I couldn't keep up, which implies an internal weakness or it changed mm -hmm. and nobody got my permission or it changed yeah. because the world is so much bigger than me. I thought it I thought I had the world, you know, my world under control and now it's different. It's just not what it was. And I don't know mm -hmm. the rules and I don't know how to act. And I can't understand it. And that innovation fatigue, not you know, not just technologically, but socially and, and all of these other rapid changes, I think can be one of those horror drivers. And I think that's something you could easily pick up on in a game and use. Mm -hmm. Okay, so is the only member of this podcast over the age of 40 so far? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, and I mean, sometimes it, it manifests in these tiny little ways, too. Like... 
TikTok. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I I've like I've been through and actually um Chrissy mentioned this when we started using Discord. She was like, you know, do we really have to change what platform we're using to keep our gaming group in contact every couple of years? And it's like, yeah, kind of, because stuff gets introduced and retired on roughly that interval. But it's like, I have gotten used to Reddit and Facebook and Twitter and forums and VoIP calling and regular telephones and text messages do I really need to get familiar with TikTok too? Can 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 I just skip that one? I'm like 40. I'm not a teenager. Do do I and yet, <laughs> you know, the answer seems yeah. to be no. I mean, streaming so, blew my mind initially. Yeah, and you know, I'm not even fully comfortable with it even though I have done it before. Um actual plays, even having done one, a long-running one, it's like I can participate in one, but I don't I've mentioned this on the podcast. I have failed at getting into actual plays, even some really like high quality, high production ones like Critical Role. It's just kind of like, yeah, this just makes me want to play games myself. And that's not I don't a bad thing. Get it. Um, what's weird is for me, you approach it as like a radio drama and a personality more than a game I'm listening in on. Yeah. But I can't and disconnect the... No, that's, that's totally yeah. fair. Uh, but but again, that idea of like these rapid changes and, you know, I mean, my goodness, I remember when our local paper started printing color issues on something, you know, other than Sunday. That was a big change. The, you know, and now it's like newspapers. Oh, you mean the litter someone leaves in my yard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's... It's a wildly different world, and I'm I'm a little younger than you, but you know, I by like three years I, I or I, something like that, right? Uh, Four? Yeah, yeah, eight, eighty three. <laughs> uh, was when five. I was born, but, okay, so, um, but I remember my dad who was working with computers very early on because he was in the accounting department at the local hospital, and then uh, accounting, which sort of split like he was the accountant guy who knew all the technology at a, a printer company printer and copier company and that then it was like well this is going to get kind of hooked up to some computers and also i guess we're using computers for accounting so can you learn that stuff and that's how he got into it i remember him bringing home a hundred megabyte hard drive and the, th the two of us looking at it going how are we ever going to fill this I have multiple one terabyte plus hard drives in the system I'm recording this episode on. Yeah. Okay. Please, please, everybody read Permanent Record by Edward Snowden. This is like the I, I have only read the first four chapters or so of it. Basically, read Permanent Record by Edward Snowden. Because it starts off with technology is kind of nuts and the fact that we are watching it evolve so quickly is absolutely overwhelming and it's why security systems haven't you know kept up pace yeah. in some ways and and it's why all of these social things are happening read permanent record by edward okay Snowden. so Fair enough. i'm gonna good. touch on one other thing about that um okay and then we I, gotta move on because yeah, we're I'm, like an hour and a half in i am in yeah, this yeah, we well are. i'm editing this one so so be it i am in this <laughs> window and i believe grant is at the very tail end of it it is that narrow 
Uh, I, I think Chrissy is more in it than I am, but people between the ages of about 38 and about 44 or so grew up in and remember the pre-technology world and watched the change happen in real time when, when we were in high school in the early days of college. Pre-computer world. Let's be clear about that, because the rate of technological change has been accelerating. Yeah. yeah. Right. But the introduction of home yeah. computing in particular was a huge transition point. Yeah. Like when I was a kid, like when I, you know, and I was born in 1978, so I'm like five years older than Grant. When I was a kid, computers existed, but the Internet basically did not. It was still yeah. something that was just used by the military and by very large universities. They were not in your home. They did not fit in your pocket. Telephones started out as rotary and then went to punching numbers into a thing with a cord on the wall. Oh, yeah. That would ring and wouldn't tell you who was calling. You just had to figure that out by answering it. Um, like, information came to you in print. It came Or slowly. on microfilm. Or, yeah, exactly. And I have felt my own attention span eroding over the course of the last couple of decades due to the, the rise of things like social media and oh don't worry it's not it's just wild man it's also uh it's also just age creeping up on all of us you and me you and me in particular it is but i mean yeah it's it's one of those things where it's just like yeah it's it's this, this happened in the world that i live in right now is not the world that existed when I was a kid, I know <laughs> kids these days will never know the horror of hoping the, you know, the modem sounds doesn't wake their parents. So, you know, <laughs> the kids in the library didn't believe me when I said that modems, yeah. Did you know, the sounds. Internet used to make noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember like, Gopher. you could hear robots screaming in the in a little in a in a box yeah. behind the computer. You could hear the robot screaming and the kids were like, I don't believe you. I was oh, like, yeah. Google it. And they did. And oh, they yeah, were I, I would cover the computer tower like with a blanket to it try and like keep the sound down so my parents wouldn't hear. <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah, good times. Anyway, um, a couple final notes on this. We've actually kind of we had a whole section on like, you know, using cosmic horror in games in our outline. Honestly, we've hit a lot of this already. Yeah. The one thing I would yeah, like to stress about it. If you are running a cosmic horror game where cosmic horror is the point of the game, pick a game system that supports that. Do not try and Shanghai your D&D &D game mm -hmm. into Cosmic Horror. It's not made for that. I know there's... And definitely don't try and do it with Feng Shui no. or something. Yeah. I, I mean... Oh, gosh, Unless no. you're specifically yeah. trying to Kung Fu kick tentacle monsters. In which case... Right. Yeah. That's just a slightly different action game. Yeah. And that's the thing. You can have seasonings yeah. of Cosmic Horror in other genres, right? This is, adventure this is an adventure story mm -hmm. where you're fighting space monsters. Okay, cool. That, you can run that in D&D. Fine. We all have aberration stats sitting around in monster manuals. Great. Yep. You know, uh, you know. oh, we're fighting uh, horrors from beyond with Kung Fu? Feng Shui. Great. Go for it. If cosmic yeah. horror is the point mm -hmm. and not action story about fighting that, you know, with fists and kicks and swords, pick a system that supports it. You know, we've mentioned a bunch of these, Call of Cthulhu and Unknown Armies and Trail of Trail Cthulhu, Cthulhu and uh, Yellow King role-playing game. Do like, uh, there are so many of these, not even counting any of the innumerable indie games that are trying to tell those very specific stories 
and do so very well, right? Yeah. You could easily do Dread mm-hmm. as a, a horror, a cosmic horror game and probably should. Oh, yeah. What's that one with the uh, candles? Ten Candles, isn't What's it? What's that one with the candles? It's been bugging me all. Is called ten- or are you thinking Scoundrel in the Deep? I keep wanting to call it... I, I keep wanting to call it 16 Candles. I think candles. it's the movie. Yeah. yeah. I think it's 10 yeah. Candles. It's either 10 or 12 Candles. Even number of... Even, even double-digit number of Candles. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I, you are correct. I, it's one of those. Um, Scoundrel in the Deep is also... At, <laughs> 38 candles. Yeah, yeah, Scoundrel in the Deep is a great one. I don't think it's quite as cosmic horror, but it's a, it can be a horrible sort of game and is really wonderful in that genre. Strongly recommend it as well. There's a bunch of these. My point is, pick a system that supports this so that you are not fighting it constantly and the system is not dragging you out of the game, but is rather bringing you into the game. Okay? Yep. Do that. You, I know. I know. D&D, you have the D&D books. Don't use them. Put them aside. It's fine. It's fine. Unless yeah. you're going to use it as a seasoning. I'm, I am doing my... Uh, yeah, I'm doing my, my creepy, great old ones warlock character, cosmic horror-ish for laughs. It's yeah. really for laughs. Like... As much as we were like, oh yeah, it was it was Hunger of Hadar with hands is much more creepy. It's done for laughs. I did it because it would be funny, and we did laugh, it's and it wonderful. was funny, and we I had a good time. I, the the thing the <laughs> thing that makes it so funny is like there there's all this weird creepy imagery that's paired up with Croucher, whose two defining well, yeah. three defining character traits are that she is benevolent, polite. And impulsive. No, no, no. You missed Tiny. Well, yes. okay, yeah. Tiny small. Yes. Tiny is in there, too. Small with Ye a small. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. And that... Um, and, and I... You know what? I wish we could have talked about this more, but both horror and comedy come yeah. from cognitive dissonance yeah, that's, and surprise. that's a really good point. And so, like, there is going to be crossover there. Uh... But if you're not just doing it for the last, do get a dedicated system. Call of Cthulhu is pretty good. I have thoroughly enjoyed Delta yeah. Green um, when I've played it. Let me actually it, touch so. on that, that point, though, Jenny. Cognitive dissonance is what drives horror and, in fact, cosmic horror and comedy. Yes. And the fact that it's... Yes. And that's why Jordan Peele is such yeah. a good horror director. Uh, and one of the reasons that it works as comedy in our game is because we we get to laugh with it if croucher were an antagonist it would mm-hmm. be very different yeah but if croucher but because croucher is a player character it's silly and so you bring mm-hmm. in these elements and we all go yes. ah, lol voids full of hands those are great <laughs> you know whereas instead <laughs> you know if it were like uh yeah suddenly that weird creepy um short person you know that's all in robes uh calls up a void and sounds of knuckles cracking and skin whispering on itself emits from you know uh, pours out of it we're suddenly playing a very different game yeah so mm-hmm. again that sense of being the one behind the curtain laughing at the whole thing that's what makes it comedy yep so yeah i think that's as good a point to end on as any I'm sure our listeners have a lot to say about this, and mm-hmm. I want to hear it. And I'm sorry this is going to take forever to edit, Peter. But <laughs> this might be a two-parter. It, sorry, Peter. I'm okay with that. You know, we might as <laughs> well might split it up into that. I think yeah. that's fine. 
Yeah, I want to hear. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I, it may edit down to the point where it's no longer a two-parter, but yeah. I don't know. I, my voice is pretty dry. We've been talking a while. We've had a lot to say about this one. We have been, yeah. Yeah. yeah this one, this one, I figured yeah. this was going to be a little bit on the longer side, and this has gone significantly longer than any other episode we've recorded in the last six months. So, yeah, yeah this is a big one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> we had more to say about this than I thought. We had fun. <laughs> And I mean, I still have a few yeah. other things I could touch on, like, you know, cos- the cosmic horror of hell and, you know, in, in Christian theology yeah. and things like that. You know, there's there's so much to talk about yeah. involving this because horror is fundamentally about mm-hmm. the things that make us afraid. And cosmic horror is dealing with reality that is not conveniently shaped for us. Right. And that is kind of part mm-hmm. of the, the whole Christian experience is saying, well, if if it's not just made for me, for my convenience, how do I live in it? And the answer is, oh, I make room for others, and I realize that God is a big unknowable thing, but who also came down and made himself a very knowable, real person. And that that big unknowable thing, Mm -hmm. it does not became Became known known and knows me personally. Yeah, we are very mm-hmm. explicitly in Christian doctrine and scripture. We are very explicitly lesser beings. We right. are defined in the framework mm-hmm. of God's existence rather than the other way around. Yeah, and there are plenty and of people yet, who struggle with that. Yeah, and yet mm-hmm. God stoops to be with us. Right, and that's mm-hmm. remarkably powerful. Right. And yeah. we are only now after an hour and 46 minutes getting to that. So, you know, yeah, there's a I, lot I mean, here. That, that brings us to that brings us to something oh, else yeah. when, you know, we, we talked about the difference between horror and comedy. This is the difference between horror and awe. Yes, because it is still powerful. It is still mm-hmm. vastly beyond you. It is still frightening. But you do not need to fear it because God specifically says, often through angelic messengers who themselves need to say, be ye not afraid, be ye not afraid, I love you. <laughs> right. And that's perhaps where we should end this episode. Uh, I want to thank everyone for sticking through it. Uh, whether it's one or two parts, I don't know, but I appreciate you sticking through it either way. And. You know, if you want to find more episodes, you can do that at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. Either URL works just fine. Or, of course, you can go through our Twitter feed and find old episodes and discussions about those episodes and all that sort of things. We're at Saving the Game on Twitter. We're Saving the Game on Facebook as well. There's a little less activity over there, but, you know... That's probably fine. And of course, if you want to join our Discord and talk about all of this with a bunch of other fans of the show, absolutely do that. There's a tweet yeah. pinned at the top That's of our Twitter That's where you'll feed. find the activity. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely true. Yes. Um, so, yeah, there's a tweet pinned at the top of our Twitter feed. Or, of course, you can just look you know, on our website for the big join our Discord thing on there. Take advantage of that. There's a bunch of wonderful people there, uh, and many of them are Patreon supporters who keep us on the air, and often they're just fans of the show who talk about the episodes and discuss them, and it's frankly wonderful, and we appreciate all of you and hope you join us there because, man, there's some good people there. It's yeah, wonderful. it's a really nice community. Yeah, a lot of, and, mm-hmm. you know, if, if that's your sort of thing, there's a community-run daily devotional and prayer request thread and, you know, discussion of, you know, hey, the world is kind of crazy, let's help each other out, and a 
whole creative channel that posts wonderful things and food. And I need to post more pictures of my bread because, man, I, my focaccia has been turning out great and I have not been bragging about it sufficiently. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, uh, just, Look at this focaccia. Look at it. Look at, it. Look at its beauty. Seriously, seriously it's really good. I, I finally got, wish you could taste it. You can, I got, but wish you could. I got the oil <laughs> oil ratio right. Mm, <clears throat> so good. Anyway, you know, but, but there's just people like, hey, these are my tomatoes. And hey, this is a real thing I'm struggling with. Can I get some prayer? And both of those things coexist wonderfully in this Discord channel full of, it's just a great community. We love it. And, yeah. And, yeah. Fantastic. Our wonderful, glorious, neutral, good community. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if you don't want to back us on Patreon or, you know, if you want to help out the show in in any way, one of the best things you can do is rate and review us. I know that's a little extra effort, but go to like Podchaser and leave a review on the episode and for the podcast. Go to iTunes, you know, rate and review the show. That helps enormously. Every Every single review we get bumps our visibility levels up more than you would realize. Like the algorithms are pretty sensitive to that. Uh, and you know what helps even more than that? Let other people know about the show. Just tweet about it. There is no substitute mm -hmm. for word of mouth. Yeah, just let people know. Talk to your friends and yep. be like, hey, I think you would like this episode. Go listen to it. That helps us so much. You have no idea. So yeah. you know, if you want to support us in any way, that's one of the easiest ways to do it. It doesn't cost you anything except you know a couple of minutes. And it helps us more than anything else. So please take a minute and do that. It, mm -hmm. it does more for us than anything else we got going on right now yeah that's all i've got i am spent i'm gonna go <laughs> see if i can catch some meteors in animal crossing Same. and drink some water <laughs> sounds good yeah i'm gonna put some filters on these tracks and get them ready for the significant amount of editing that i have to do good luck <laughs> thank you all right <laughs> uh jenny or what are you gonna do feed the cat Oh, no, uh, I actually texted my oh, parents oh, earlier to feed her. <laughs> That's good. She's fine. <laughs> oh, man. All right. From all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. See ya. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license, our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilore.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.